the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So there's a reward in this life of growing in our strength and our perseverance. There's a reward in the life to come. Now, some Christians have a problem with the concept of rewards at all. But when we go through the New Testament, we find we are encouraged to contemplate the rewards, to keep our eyes on the prize that motivates us. The book of James is peppered with difficult concepts to parse out and understand. And that's why our teacher, Pastor Leighton Sheely, on this broadcast called Study Verse by Verse is taking us just that way, verse by verse through the book of James. Welcome to the program. This is an outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno on the web at highlands.us. And Pastor Layton picks up today with just a bit of a review of what we heard yesterday, starting in chapter 1, verse 8. The Living Bible Paraphrase renders this passage, A Christian who doesn't amount to much in this world should be glad, for he is great in the Lord's sight. But a rich man should be glad that his riches mean nothing to the Lord, for he will soon be gone like a flower that has lost its beauty and fades away, withered, killed by the scorching summer sun. And so it is with rich men. They will soon die and leave behind all their busy activities. And so James is making this point. He's saying that life is so uncertain, our wealth is so vulnerable, that calamity and disaster may come at any moment And it is foolish to put our faith, our trust in things like wealth. Instead, it's wise to put our trust in things that we cannot lose. Jesus said to store up our treasure in heaven where corruption is not an issue and theft is not an issue. That's a safe place to put our treasure. One who is rich is a Christian, but... They should take pride in their low position because in the eyes of the world, back then and even today, identification with Christ is humiliation in the eyes of the world. Jeremiah chapter 9 says it this way, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So the passage here makes it clear that boasting in and of itself is not wrong. It's a matter of what you're boasting in. If you're boasting in your accomplishments, your intelligence, your wealth, you're boasting in the wrong thing. If you're going to boast about anything, it's that you have a relationship with God through Christ your Savior and Lord. Verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Again, trial means any difficulty that can threaten our faithfulness to Christ. It can be physical illness or a financial reversal, death of a loved one, and so forth. And uh, James has previously um, told believers to respond to trials with joy because they would produce strength. They would produce perseverance. 
But now he adds to that the promise of a reward for those who faithfully endure through the time of testing. He says, blessed, blessed. And it's not a wish, it's not a description, it's a verdict. It's a judgment. That person is blessed who remains steadfast. And and the fact that he uses blessed uh, reveals that the author is familiar with Old Testament passages, and he's also familiar with um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which begins with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes begin with the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the same word. Makarios is the word. And the, the word cannot adequately be uh, translated happy um, because Makarios refers to a, a happiness that's not dependent upon circumstances. In fact, a person who is blessed may not be happy at all because happiness is associated with our emotional state, which is oftentimes associated with our circumstances. Blessed is, is a reference to being in God's favor. Blessed is the man who endures under trial. They're going to be a a person in God's uh, favor. And so there's some benefit to us going through trials, both in this world as we build our strength and also in the world to come. He says that those who stand up under the test will receive a crown of life, the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. The crown of life is referenced in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, when Jesus promises suffering Christians, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So there's a reward in this life of growing in our strength and our perseverance. There's a reward in the life to come. Now, some Christians have a problem with the concept of rewards at all. They want to be sincere about their faith, and so they don't want to have any part of their faith attached to what's in it for me. You know, but... When we go through the New Testament, we find that we are encouraged to contemplate the rewards to spur us towards continuing faithfulness, to keep our eyes on the prize that motivates us. Remember? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus had a joy, a reward set before him. And one of the scholars observes that the kind of rewards that God is going to give are the kind of rewards only a Christian can appreciate anyway. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So trials or testings are to be endured. Temptations are to be resisted. And the interesting thing is, in both cases, uh, the author, James, uses the same root word, parazo, uh, that is translated uh, trial and temptation. It's translated trial when it refers to an external difficulty, and it is uh, translated temptation when it is associated with an internal uh, enticement to sin. And what James is showing here is that there's a connection between the two, that an external circumstance can trigger an internal temptation. An external circumstance can trigger an internal temptation. For instance, when we're going through times of financial difficulty, that's an external circumstance. As we're going through those times of financial difficulty, we can be tempted to wonder if God really is taking care of us, if God really is providing for us. It's an external trial 
that triggers an internal temptation. Or the death of a loved one, that's an external event, and that can tempt us to question if God really loves us. God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have let that person, my mother, my sister, my brother, my child, whoever it is, uh, die. Um, And then then we look out and we see injustice, and we are surrounded by injustice in this fallen world. We see injustice. That's an external situation, but we can be tempted to wonder if God is really just or if he even cares. God, that's an injustice. Why haven't you done something to fix it? Do you not care? Maybe you don't even exist at all. And so you can see how external trials can trigger internal uh, temptations. James insists that God is not the author of temptation. And he gives us a series of reasons for that. And the first reason he gives us is that God cannot be tempted by evil. That God is omnipotent. He resists every invitation to sin. He doesn't have the slightest bit of darkness within him, the slightest bit of depravity uh, to which a temptation can appeal. So it's illogical to think that God can be the author of temptation. So if God's not the author of temptation, where does it come from? And James gives us the answer. He says, by your own evil desire. So he's rebuking a person for trying to blame God for your temptation or your failure in temptation. You know, that has been a characteristic of mankind since the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I'm talking about the beginning of the beginning. I'm talking about Genesis chapter 3. You remember the story? Before Ten Commandments, there was only one. And they broke the commandment. They're hiding. God calls them out and asks Adam, you know, what's going on? And what does Adam say? Oh, the woman that you gave me, she caused me to sin. It's not my fault. It's her fault. She caused me to sin. Oh, by the way, you gave her to me, so really, you're at fault, God. And Eve... She blames the serpent. You know, two-year-olds know how to blame something or somebody else. It's, it's just inherent within us. Mankind has always been an expert in evasion. We play the blame game. And what James says is, you got a problem with temptation? It's you. It comes from you. It's from inside of you. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, he uses a metaphor here from fishing. And uh, the bait or the lure would entice a fish, and then the fish would be dragged away. So it's the scene of a fish just swimming along in its river as it should, and then all of a sudden something flashes out here. Something gets their attention. And they go over, and then they look it over very carefully, and something, uh, the bait or the lure, whatever it is, it triggers an appetite, a desire. You know, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to go fishing with some fishermen from our congregation. Now, I'm not a fisherman. I, sometimes I will go to those trout farms where the fish are trained to bite, okay? That, you know. And it didn't take me long to figure out these guys knew what they were doing because they would use a lure for that fish over there and uh, the pink lady. Pink lady works really well, just so you fishermen know that. And, and they use the pink lady lure for those fish over there and they'd use power bait for that fish over there. And they, they knew what kind of bait worked on what kind of fish. Now, the word desire oftentimes for us carries with it a sexual connotation, and it can mean that because it's used in that sense in the New Testament, but it really has a broader meaning because it it refers to anything that God prohibits. 
anything that God prohibits. Each of us has our own desire. There's some bait or some lure that attracts us, that we have an appetite for. And that may work on us and not on the person next to us. Theirs is a different bait. Theirs is a different lure. And Satan is an expert on figuring out what bait or what lure works for you. He's been doing it for millennia. Pastor Leighton Sheely is taking us through a study in the book of James on study verse by verse. And have you begun thinking about those areas of your own life where Satan can get a toehold? Well, Pastor Leighton went on to talk to the congregation about ways you can deal with those problem areas, and we'll feature some of that on the next edition of the broadcast. I hope you can join us. We'll be back at this same time. I'm Mike Trout, and this is an outreach of Church of the Highlands. They're down in San Bruno and on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. They have a number of times when the congregation meets across the weekend and also during the week with various study groups and other activities. You can find out all about it at highlands.us. And please remember, we're a nonprofit outreach and really do depend upon your prayer support and perhaps your financial support. Have a great rest of your day and be back tomorrow when we'll once again open the Word of God and study verse by verse.